Welcome everyone to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmy. This week on the podcast, we're going to address rookie mistakes that even professionals make when it comes to vegetable garden design. My dear friend, Catherine McLaughlin, joins me today. She's a landscape architect at Farmscape, a company like Garden Nerd that installs vegetable gardens here in Los Angeles. She's been designing residential and corporate gardens for the last three years, and we get together to gripe and blow off steam throughout the year. And so this is probably going to be a lot like a conversation that you might overhear during one of those times we get together. Hey, gal, thanks for being here. Hi, I think they're going to have to pay extra for, you know, <laughs> the real dirty stuff, but we'll keep Keep it PG for you. We'll, we'll keep it clean for yeah, everyone yeah. here. Yeah. Well, we met at the Soil Summit back in 2015, and we actually rode the Metro back from that event together afterwards. Oh yeah. And I knew right away you were someone that I wanted to keep in touch with. And luckily that worked. We have. Um, so I want to ask you, like, what initially brought you to that Soil Summit? Oh, okay. So I had been practicing. Um, and building gardens in Southern California for a long time, mostly like sustainable, low water native gardens. Um, I've been practicing a lot up in Topanga Canyon and um, been kind of trying to understand the connection between the work I was doing, um, which is native gardening. And part of that is really trying to understand irrigation. Mm -hmm. um, and I had this kind of, this thing that was really bothering me because all of the irrigation technology originally comes from ag. Right. I was like, why don't, I kind of want to just like know more about this and get into like how these two fields relate. Um, and living in a city, obviously there aren't that many ways to get in touch with that. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in the Midwest surrounded by cornfields, which is <laughs> a different kind of ag, you know? And like, right. and I also like to eat food like delicious food and you know your farmer's market your marvista farmer's market which i think of as yours it is the best farmer's market it is the best <laughs> was kind of my solace of a place to be like oh cool you know like these this is how i kind of work on these two dualities of the landscape in southern california you know um so the soil summit you know i think i we'd been kind of tracking through like sustainable gardening um different arenas you know this new kind of like hip term regenerative gardening right? right which is like really about soil building which to me is so exciting because it's actually like also talks about infrastructure similar to drainage and grading and irrigation you know it, it, but just at a micro cool level right you know uh -huh. like where it's really really exciting. And that was something I didn't really know that much about. So that's what brought me to that soil summit. And that's where we finally met. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I feel so fortunate to have been able to attend that summit and oh my God, get sense. that foundational, literal foundational uh, mindset and way of thinking there on out, um, uh, which I was already dabbling in, but it was just nice to have it validated and, and deepened while I was there. So yeah, we were on the same page from the beginning, basically. It was such a beautiful three days. I mean, it yeah. was so helpful for all of us. Yeah. 
so now you live in a condominium, uh, but, you, but you do have a little bit of soil that I've seen you plant in. So can you describe your space and how you use it? Sure. So um, like I tell people all the time, which is, I think, fun and sad, but I'm on the north side of a two-story building. My Aww. condo is. <laughs> yeah. So it means that um, I get sun like for three months of the year kind of intensely. And the rest of the year, it's kind of, you know, in part shade, some morning light, and then some late afternoon. Um, but I've over... I like to experiment, you know, luckily my job allows me to experiment with plants on other people's properties, but at my house, I kind of like, like you, um, I've been just throwing seeds over the years and really working on building my soil. So like some years I'll just do like a big lasagna mulch and take everything down. Um, <laughs> I have this artichoke I planted about 14 years ago that, you know, gives me this beautiful display of flowers because of the aphids and not aphids, uh, Earwigs love oh, to love hang to be out. In there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's for it's great for my upstairs neighbors. Um, I have this beautiful bougainvillea that drapes over. Um, and the cool thing about where I live is actually like a really important part of the urban forest in southern in uh, Los Angeles. And we have like a met a pretty significant uh, migratory bird population that stops over because it's um 64 acres of open space essentially. So it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I have essentially I'm surrounded by these bottle brush trees and there's just all number of fun friends that come and visit annually <laughs> and it's so exciting. Um so I you know sometimes in the winter it's an arugula garden because that does really well in low light, mm -hmm. uh parsley and a number of greens. And in the summer, you know, I kind of just let it I kind of see who wants to hang out. I'm usually really busy in the summer with work. And, right. you know, I also am a bit of a masochist and then I like to like stress things out and see who wants to really survive. So my survivors are my artichoke and I have this really beautiful um, Ribes malvasium. Um, it's a, uh, what is, it? it's a current, I'm, I'm chaparral current. I got it from Matiaha Nursery 15 years ago and planted it. And it is, it's summer deciduous, which is means, you know, in the middle of the summer, it looks like kind Ow. of this little barky <laughs> finger thing, but it's kind of really big and, you know, kind of lacy and beautiful. And, but, you know, in the years that time of year when I like to be around my garden, um, it's a number of wonder. So, um, that's kind of how I treat my garden. It's it's funny. I actually we have a really sweet little garden tour mm -hmm. um, at Village Green. And one year I had um, I had I was like really determined to lasagna mulch and cover crop. And I had this really beautiful display. I did borage and red clover, and um, I had been burying all my bokashi compost in my garden too. So mm -hmm. it was like this really exciting kind of little space I could do some demonstration for my neighbors. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it kind of became a compost garden over the years. Right. Especially if you're if you're doing Bokashi. I mean, that's that's something that can take a little while, but it, it shows its benefits down the line. Very it cool. does. Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, so it's kind of this active, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an operative landscape, as we say in the trade. <laughs> operative landscape. It's operative. Yeah. And if you, as long as it's mulched 
I'm happy. You know, it's kind of, that's my dream garden. It's just a well-mulched garden. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to weed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the founders of Farmscape and I started around the same time all those years ago. And now they actually send me clients that are interested in projects that are like on the small scale, kind of too small for their minimum. And, but you're working on larger projects, right? So what's your, what's your role there? What do you, how does, how does your work go? Oh, great question. Um, I am the design studio principal at Farmscape. Um, We have three different departments or four, actually it's four different departments. We have maintenance installation, our agri-hood team, and our design team slash office. So I operate um, with a colleague who is in Northern California. She's also a landscape architect. And we get brought in on projects that are complicated and take a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But where people, you know, really are engaged in making urban agriculture or, you know, even like um, suburban agriculture a part of their community. So it's been really fun to understand, you know, like I was saying, this thing I wanted to learn how these things start to interact um, and, you know, how just complicated they are when you're doing them from the ground up and not like in a field in the middle of Kansas. Right. With a a well. (laughs) Flatland is really not always available. So you have to work with what you've got, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let's, because you're, you're leading me into something that a lot of people have to deal with, which is, you know, let's talk about the mistakes that people and landscapers make when they install vegetable garden beds, because I can't tell you how many times I show up at someone's, I did it today. I went to someone's house, this garden, this landscape designer did a beautiful job on the rest of the garden, but they showed up and the beds had been put up an inch into the hedges, you know, no space. Were they ficus? They're privet. They're, oh, yeah, they're just like, or Eugenia. I can't remember. I think they're Eugenia, which is just as bad, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about first of all location. Let's well, well. Let me ask you first. What's the first thing that you run across when oh, you see oh. people say, "I want to put a garden right here" or whatever it is? Yeah, um, I like you have probably walked away from many beautiful <laughs> properties and said, "I'm really sorry because." you know, this, it's a labor of love, especially Mm -hmm. in an urban setting. You know, it's people work really hard to make sure your beautiful annual vegetable crops are like pumping out gorgeous produce for you the whole year. And so it's really sad to have a poorly sighted Mm -hmm. box, like from day one. And that's, that's, that's usually the one, you know, we like, I get out my like sun tracker. What is Mm -hmm. it? I can't remember the name of that app. Right is now. it it's an app though yeah and sunseeker it's wonderful and you know i'm it dep- and it depends on where it is in the city but you know is it if it's i'm not getting 6 to 8 hours of sun for the majority of the year we're already starting on our back foot you know right. and then it and then there's a jace is there a hedge nearby like you ran into today yeah. And, and I, I have to tell you, there's so many people because, uh, you know, let's admit we live in a place where there are a lot of palatial estates, where there are a lot of wealthy people who want to have a garden. And I go there and they walk me around to the dog run and on the mm-hmm. north side of the house, 
and I want to kill them. But that's just, <laughs> like I said, listeners, we might be griping a bit today. So this is, you get to listen in. Um, so yeah, so, so south-facing is ideal. I think people see that everywhere. But what that means is also not having an obstruction on that south wall to the south of where you want to put your garden. And that may be tall hedges. Um, Definitely. Or another building that's two stories high <laughs> or uh you know uh i have a client that's right on the cliffs of the ocean and the wind is so strong there and they wonder why stuff isn't growing very much and that's an issue you know mm-hmm. um so let's talk about that's that's pretty much location so let's, yeah. let's the the thing is the thing people need to know about hedges and i did a, a youtube video on this that what happens when people put their gardens up against or near, I'd say even five feet away from a hedge? Um, yeah, I, I mean, right. It's so ficus, privet, eugenia, all these things see your yummy vegetable soil and they just go right across your yard and up into your bed. And then they're taking all of the nutrients from your very precious, beautiful organic soil. And it's it's upsetting. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yes, it is. For the first year or so, the garden does pretty good. And then suddenly it just stops producing and you wonder what you did wrong. And it's not you. <laughs> it's, your, mm-hmm. it's your hedges. They got thirsty your and found your garden. The X yeah. marks the spot. Right. So hedges and trees, right? I mean, that, uh-huh. they're not and far away trees and trees that we love, right? You know, I think that can be a really tough thing for me who is like, you know, tree priority and then vegetable garden most of the time it's like I'm not going to tell you to take down that tree so you can have a vegetable garden here right right let's let's talk about materials a little bit because this is another thing Uh, a lot of people go out and buy whatever wood or very specific types of wood to make raised beds what do you recommend or not recommend well I'm fortunate to work with people who have dialed this in right you know like raised bed professionals so it's usually it's just cedar and redwood mm-hmm. that's that's it um those are those are the materials we use exclusively yeah um, for building your raised beds for building the raised beds and height is a really big deal too obviously you know not just like one 12 inch board isn't gonna do everything for you so you do your beds taller than 12 inches right yes, yes. okay what's your minimum So sometimes we go, you know, into like 14 to 17 inches in Mm -hmm. depend, and also it depends on the setting, right? You know, so like, how are, who are the people that are accessing these beds is the biggest deal, right? And can they bend down? (laughs) Can these people bend? Do they want to bend, you know? Um, And how far can they reach? So those are, you know, all key considerations when you're like thinking about this, because you might have a five foot space that seems perfect, but five feet is way too deep for someone to reach. Way too deep. Yeah. I don't, I don't go wider than four feet if you can access it on both sides. Correct. Yeah. Uh, And, or if it's up against a wall, I just would love it if people just did two feet, because that's about Mm. how long the human arm is. I mean, you could do three. But maybe yeah. put a put a stepping stone in the middle so that you can uh, get in there without compressing your soil. Mm-hmm. Do you have what do you guys do? That's about right. Yeah, I mean, it's we try and max out as much as we can mm-hmm. because you know we want to make sure that we can produce as much as possible. So yeah. if it's three feet, you know, we think about verticality at mm-hmm. that point. You know, so like 
And that gives you a ton of space, even though it's not rooting space, right? So your vining crops are going up. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to mention, so in, and I I say this in Gardening for Geeks, because I met someone along the way who has his own lab and he was actually testing testing materials. Um, And he tested railroad ties, landscape timbers, pressure treated lumber, redwood, and cedar. And the thing you know, I was like, well, of course, pressure treated lumber and then railroad ties. And he said, you know what's worse? Redwood. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah, here's why. So because redwood, most redwood is solvent dried and the solvents mm-hmm. are more toxic than the stuff they use, the creosote that's in railroad ties. Um, so if you do use redwood, fair listener, you can special order kiln dried redwood from your resource what, you know, yeah. your hardware store, which is what you guys are probably doing. I'm yeah. 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 I, 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 I get to stay out of like shopping for lumber. Luckily yeah. that is my, <laughs> my privilege at this point. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, now let's talk about soil because uh, this is uh, another frustration. I end up running into beds that a landscaper put in where they basically ordered a truckload of fill dirt or they ordered, you know, veggie mix from a bulk supplier that is honestly no better than fill dirt. And, uh, and I can't even push my thumb into it. It's so compacted and so just not full of enough organic matter to make a difference. So I end up using bag soil or bulk of that same soil product or I'll recommend some place it takes forever to get there. It's like they're in Oxnard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) delivery is forever. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what do you look for in a good soil mix? You know, I'm honestly, that's, it's hilarious because I went into this to learn about soil, but Farmscape was already fully dialed in on their soil. (laughs) And even, and honestly, even I am kept in the dark as to how they came. I mean, no, I was, I was, I was taught about the different ratios. So we use the Kellogg's products, Mm -hmm. they're organic products exclusively because we're an organic gardening company and they're the only ones that can certify that the soil is organic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we're talking about this as an object or as a piece, it's, it's important that that has OMRI certification. Right. So we really like Kellogg's products. We have a great relationship with them and their soil is beautiful. Um, and so we use a, a blend of their, a couple different things that they sell. And it, it varies through the seasons, depending mm-hmm. on kind of like if we want things hotter or not. And honestly, like, that's funny. It's all I really know about our vegetable <laughs> garden mix. Um, I'm usually more concerned about like in-ground plants. And if those are getting the right blends of things. And, right. And, and that's mostly making sure our trees are, you know, properly amended and not in compacted soil. And all of our perennials are getting, you know, the right blend of things. So got it. Yeah. And and it makes sense uh, that you would be focused on the in-ground stuff a bit more because that's, that's where the, the design component is more important, I think. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about irrigation then, because (laughs) again, I show up, I show up where someone's got a small raised bed and they've used, and I know Farmscape's on the same page with me about this, the, the, the landscape guard, you know, or the gardener has come in and used the exact same landscape irrigation tubing they would use for shrubs and trees. 
in the vegetable bed where it's half inch tubing with 18 inch emitters, meaning the holes are every 18 inches apart or 12. And that's like, we're planting biointensively. So it's really not the right tools for that. So what do you guys, how, because I I remember early on Farmscape was using a grid technique with Mm -hmm. quarter inch tubing. How, what's it look like these days? I haven't seen one in a while. Um, It's still, it's still quarter inch Mm -hmm. with six inch spacing at six, six inches inch on center. Okay. There you go. And you know, the, so, and I, I, this was some, something for me to learn, um, as in with my prior training doing more, you know, like less irrigation in the garden. Um, and also, you know, learning a lot about, you know, efficient irrigation in the landscape quarter inch was like, something I wasn't even ever allowed to look at <laughs> because in in a landscape it gets pulled apart from the the little like zara bug thing uh-huh. it, it's a it's a nightmare in ground but if you have it in a raised bed there's no feet there should be no animals it's really only the farmer and the farmer who comes weekly or even more than weekly to check the irrigation make sure you know nothing's broken and really tend it as it should be, you know, and that's, that's something, um, and uh, you know, the quarter inch is nice because it, as I've learned, doesn't take up a lot of space. Right. Right. And it's, it's flexible. So it's really Mm -hmm. hard to coil a half inch tube through your brassicaceae plants, but it's really easy to do that with quarter inch tubing. Yeah. And, and wonderful. And the six inch emitters make it so that you can plant things closer together than a foot. Uh, which we do a lot in, in biointensive vegetable gardening. So yay. Awesome. Yay. Okay, good. Yay. I know. And I mean, I'm going to touch a third rail right now, but okay. so we, you know, we love, we love our quarter inch and we love our netafim. It's typically netafim mm-hmm. like 0.6 at 12 inches on center. That's like the nice, those are our, our good friends. Um, and there's a, there is a netafim product that's a little smaller that is six inches on center, but we, because it's another component that we'll have to track and is new. The danger is if you're, you know, if you're using a lot of different irrigation materials, and I think this is a good tip for home gardeners or people, you have to understand that each of those has an associated fitting and it becomes this crazy thing you're tracking all the time. And even we as professionals are like walking into a space and having to assess everything that's there, right? When yeah. something breaks, it's really unfun to it's try. It's unfun. And- <laughs> yeah. And if, if you happen to have, so it, it, just to kind of use an analogy, it's, I've always used the analogy that Lego, that, that uh, irrigation, drip irrigation is like Legos. You just put the different pieces together, but having these specialized components that are a bit different they don't fit together with other Legos. They have their own set of Legos. They're special Legos with a smaller size holes and they don't fit together. So it's best to stick with what's commercially available rather than going with something special. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to ask, what is your take? So you're using uh, this, we're gonna get really nerdy here. So no, it's great. we're using inline emitters, meaning the tubing has holes. Oh in yes, it. yes, yes, plugging in. No emitters, right? One more, one every connection is a way for something to break, and <laughs> to it blow will. Up. Yeah, and yeah, it exactly. and honestly, it's it's like it will. I, I you know, I always laugh because I like I was like, oh, I'm going into gardening because there's no such thing as an emergency, oh, and cool. like a, a, <laughs> a landscape emergency is like you know like 
a thing, right? And it's hilarious, but it's mostly with irrigation. So make Always. sure you can put it back together as fast as possible. Yeah, and and keep a set of of uh, barbed couplings, uh, barbed connectors, and goof plugs on hand. I oh, think yeah. is another one. So I well, need this, to carry goof plugs around even. I used to have them in my bag at all times, and I I, I was at a client last week where she a squirrel had come in like chewed through her her quarter inch line and she had a paver on top of it to keep it from spraying straight into the sky and I was like where I don't have my goof my my barbed connectors with me because all you have to do is cut out the bad part and then join them together again and mm -hmm. voila perfect um but I didn't have it so I I've um I I sent her the part I'm like go to Home Depot <laughs> get this. and it's really easy and I showed yeah. her how to do it uh, but that was, uh, that anyway, so well, this brings me to my next question is what's one recommendation that you have for those who are trying to do it themselves, any component and building raised beds, finding their own soil spacing location, anything where, oh. what do you think? Well, okay. That's a, that's a really fun Broad question, question because, because most of my answers are always please, please hire a professional. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think you and I are lucky to be in a field where people do want to do it themselves and learn, which yes. is ultimately the best because they have ownership and it's agency and are like, can make it wonderful for many years. So, yes. um, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> planting is a really great way for people to, you know, get engaged in their garden. I know that sounds like silly, but in our world, you know, we professionally plant gardens for people. I know mm -hmm. you probably do too. You know, you have your schedule. Maybe. I, I insist on planting with the client when we first mm -hmm. put the garden in because it gives them an investment in mm -hmm. that garden and they don't feel as afraid of it. Like that if they touch it, something will go wrong. That That's way. really smart. Yeah, yeah. I love that. No, and we, we actually did that um, last year with a family during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, their son was home the whole time and he worked with our crew, you know, <laughs> helping them dig holes and run lines. And um, at the end, you know, we set up the irrigation for the family. We taught them how to, you know, like pre-water their holes. We planted a big native garden with them and we oh, set cool. it all up. And they planted it over Thanksgiving weekend. And, you know, we're like so excited and so proud. And the garden has, they've lost like three plants over like amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like pretty incredible for a, a landscape in a drought. And, you know, like, so um, that's great. I mean, sorry, I, I don't, I think I felt like a cop out for DIY, but I mean, I think that's where I would have people really start. Um, yeah, get your hands in the dirt. Yeah, plumbing is a little tougher because there are a lot of ways, you know, pressure is always a challenge, I think. And that's a hard one to know without like probably watching a lot of YouTube videos and mm -hmm. having a plumber in your back pocket. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I usually tell people, you know, get the bed set up, put the soil in, then call me and I can send my irrigation guys over to do that part because that's mm -hmm. that's where they want some help. And that makes sense. I don't think people should tackle something if they feel like that's, that they might do it the wrong way. But mm -hmm. uh, I certainly encourage people to try doing the bulk of it themselves because it's A, you, you save on labor costs like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and B, you feel like accomplishment, you know. 
Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, one of the things, especially when stepping up in a raised bed, I always, you know, we're always really focused on people doing it like in a corner. Mm-hmm. And so, oh my God. Know, oh yeah. yeah can we talk about that? Because yeah, this, yeah. this, this is a huge that. thing for me. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, every time I show up at a garden that has been uh, stubbed out. So t- listeners, mm-hmm. stubbing out means that they're running the irrigation under the raised bed, but then they put up a vertical line that goes straight up above soil level. And that's where we connect the drip irrigation to it. And time after time, I see them stub it out in the middle of the bed or you know, a foot in, in either direction. And it's like in the middle of the, where we wanna plant stuff. So put it in the corner, right? Well, yeah, and I think it's, yeah, it's really important. And it's something that like, I forget about, or I did, you know, I didn't not forget about, it, I didn't really understand was like, it's a working space, right? Yes. That raised bed is essentially like your kitchen countertop. Like people are up in it all the time <laughs> and a number of ways. Sometimes they dig really deep. And when you disconnect anything, it's again, more irrigation emergencies. So keep things to the edges and you'll be very happy. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad we were talking about this. It makes me feel so much better. Oh, I, I will. <laughs> I will talk about irrigation woes till it's dark out. I love to. Nice. Well, it is tip time. So oh, do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? And it doesn't have to be about irrigation, but if you wanted to. Oh, it might be because honestly, it's it's my favorite thing. I don't, and I really don't know why, but um in Southern California, it's very exciting. Very important too. Very important to understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't, what we didn't talk about was hydrozoning. So this is another thing that landscape designers and architects miss. So hydrozoning is very important. Sometimes people think of food crops as a monolith, right? You know, so your raised beds and your fruit trees and they all go on one single valve or Uh, zone uh, and uh. because they are all food. And so they get water the same. And unfortunately for you or for us, that is not true. And it means it's very important to separate them out. So annual vegetable crops get their own zone because they have different water requirements, rooting depths we need to get to. Fruit trees have, should always be on their own. Berries should probably be on their own too if we have enough <laughs> enough, enough valves, valves we can utilize. Right. And honestly, the other, you know, even even separating your citrus from your stone fruit because they have different needs at different times of year, right? You know, right, because stone you, fruits can. go dormant. Right, stone fruits go dormant, and so they don't need as much water over or any over winter, mm-hmm. depending on where you live. Um, and whereas citrus is a year-round producer, and so that's going to need, yeah. So if you can separate that out, great. Yeah. Uh, or Control. at least at least put a valve, a, a, a manual shutoff right yes. there on the hose bubbler or whatever you call that. The There's a bubbler at each tree usually or a drip line that comes around so mm-hmm. that you can shut that off for those trees that need it. Yes, yeah. the, those little inline um, valves are very helpful. We yeah. love them. They're fun. And, be, you know, and because you know we don't all, especially with drip irrigation, um, you need enough gallonage to open a valve. So if you only have a few trees, you know, and you're using low flow drip, you actually have to do a little math to under to know how much water is actually being put out into your yard. Otherwise it actually won't activate. So it's important. That's it's, it's good to know how much water is coming out in the garden. That yeah. would be a tip to like, actually, if you have the time to just like 
do some counting and some math, it's always valuable, especially now. Yeah, and I have a formula in Gardening for Geeks that will help people calculate their flow gallons per hour, I think it is, flow rate yeah. or gallons per minute, I forget, but there's, anyway, it's in there, so you can take a look at that. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's, that's a, a good tip. That's Christine? a really good tip. That's a okay, great cool. tip. Hydrozoning isn't something that uh, we talk about a lot um, because when, well, I, I don't know why we don't talk about, we should, but certainly I try to group plant families together that have similar watering needs. Yeah. Uh, and, and that way that also helps a lot within the beds themselves. So not just outside of the beds and in the beds, but inside the beds too. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Catherine, oh. for that lovely tip and for this wonderful conversation. And uh, so fun. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Me so too. Thanks for inviting me. How do people find you? I know you have zero social media presence, but <laughs> <laughs> if people wanted to find you, where would they Hard go? Hard enough, you can find me. Um, <laughs> I have a LinkedIn profile. Um, I work at Farmscape and you can find me. You can contact me via LinkedIn and I'll send you an email, maybe. <laughs> um, Great, yeah. that's good. Thank you. That's sufficient. All right, garden okay. nerds. Cool. <laughs> You'll find a link to Catherine's LinkedIn profile this week. And we'll also share links to Farmscape's social media feeds because you might spot Catherine's work on there. Uh, that's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under Garden nerd one on facebook as gardennerd.com and of course our garden nerd youtube channel happy gardening